So I wanted to come on really quick before playing the first segment that is my recovery journey and just say a quick couple of things because this was actually recorded almost a year ago uh, as I was hitting 90 days sober from marijuana. And I'm posting the recording as it was originally recorded without going in and doing heavy editing beyond things that a good friend of mine actually went through and edited for me back in September. Um, Because it's real and I think it's the most authentic version of my story that has been told. And I think that that's really cool because it was told so young in sobriety and it wasn't about anything besides getting the message across There was a big delay in the production of this podcast for a myriad of reasons, but now I've reached a point in my recovery as I'm approaching one year sober where the message is more important than the ego, and I recognize that this isn't going to be perfect, and I recognize that it's not going to be exactly what I thought it was going to be, and I'm not going to be able to have a bunch of guests all the time because of COVID, and sometimes it's going to have to be over Zoom, and it's okay, because that's life, and that's recovery. We strive for progress, not perfection, and I'm just super excited to finally show this to likely my friends and family, because it's really, it's really good. I actually haven't listened to this since I recorded it. And I don't think I will be able to because it's so personal. But all of you can. So there's that. Um, I'll be posting podcasts as much as I possibly can. Maybe weekly. Maybe monthly. You know, maybe it's every couple months. I don't know. But I'm excited. I just wanted to come on and say that. But this is me at three months sober in a completely different state and place in my life. And... Welcome to the Girls Who Smoked podcast by yours truly. This episode was edited by my good friend, Ricardo, um, who I adore as a birthday present. So thank you, and I hope that you enjoy it. Hey, welcome to the first episode of Girls Who Smoked, a podcast about recovery. My name is Janera. I am an addict and an alcoholic, and this is a lot. (laughs) A few things about this podcast. First and foremost, number one, I am not a professional. I am currently sitting in my living room with a $30 mic that I bought from a billionaire and just going off of the knowledge that I learned from a college um, podcasting class, which I finished two months ago. (laughs) This is not to discredit myself. This is to say that the purpose of this podcast is not to be anything other than what I am, but to truly spread the message of recovery, strength, and hopefully... Hope. This is a black queer them run podcast. This will be one of the few times I'm by myself. It is mostly set to be with guests. 
uh, all in recovery or if they're not in recovery, there's a specific reason I have them there, whether they're an expert or something <laughs> that is important for the podcast. But the purpose is to spread the message, to say that, hey, one, addiction is real and it is much better when you talk about it. Uh, B, marijuana is a drug. <laughs> there are so many people addicted to it and it takes time and, you know, C, I don't actually have a C, but it felt good to put it that way. For the, for this first one, I figured that I would talk about me. I would talk about myself and my recovery and kind of my story so far as it's not nearly over yet. <laughs> it's really just beginning. But they say that no matter how far you have gone, your experience can... <laughs> that was a car! <laughs> Um, they say like no matter how far that you've gone or like where you are, you can always provide strength and hope to someone else. You don't have to have thirty years in order to in order to provide strength and hope. And um, I don't. So this is where I am. Today is July twenty fourth. I have ninety one days sober from marijuana, thirty eight days sober from alcohol. 34 days sober from cigarettes, and 802 days free from self-harm. This goes to say that addiction comes in many forms. <laughs> when we introduce ourselves in the rooms, we, you know, you just say, I'm Jerry, I'm a stoner, I'm a pothead, or I'm an alcoholic, I'm an addict. But for me, it's, I'm strongly an addict. Um, <laughs> addiction is a disease of the brain. It doesn't start when you pick up a drink or pick up a joint. It It is a thinking disease. I have a friend in recovery who says that his problem isn't marijuana. It's a symptom of the problem. His real problem is himself. Um, and as they say in, in the big book, we have a problem with living life on life's terms. And that is a hundred percent me. I remember being young and my father is an alcoholic, um, was an alcoholic, will always be an alcoholic, but he never got the help. So when I was little, very maybe six or seven, I remember getting in trouble because <laughs> it was a standard, my mom said I could, couldn't do one thing and my dad said it was okay type of deal. I remember... I actually, it was five. I remember because it was when the third Star Wars movie came out and we were all watching it uh, in the neighborhood to go see, um, like on DVD, you know, back in the day, there was no streaming <laughs> and our neighbor had gotten a copy of this DVD the day it came out and we're all watching it. And I must've gone over early or something, something to do with my safety. And, um, I did it cause my dad said it was okay. And my mom I remember pulled me aside. Uh, we were in our house up in my bedroom and I was like, that's it. I'm getting my ass beat. I don't know what I did. <laughs> but that wasn't the case. Um, she pulled out a dictionary, my kid's dictionary with pictures. 
and she had the word alcoholic. And she said, she read it to me, and she said, Janera, do you know what this means? And I was like, no. And she said, your father is sick. Um, he has this disease. And when he's drinking, he is not himself. And it's very important that you recognize that this is a disease, it's not your fault, but this is kind of how he is right now. Um, he's sick. And even then, as a five-year-old, my first thought with, this is the situation in life, my dad is sick, it was, oh, well, I'm going to make him better. <laughs> um, I can change this. Uh, it's, she made it very clear it wasn't my fault, but I somehow thought that even though I was not the problem, I could be the solution. Uh, I started off just figuring I could be good. You know, if I could just be as good as possible, my dad would stop drinking. Because, you know, as a kid, you don't understand, well, if you, if you are addicted to alcohol, like, if you can't stop drinking it, why don't you just stop drinking it, you know? Like, they describe it as an allergy in the big book, right? And any, if someone's allergic to, to strawberries, right, and every time they have strawberries, they go into freaking anaphylactic shock, they're gonna not eat straw, strawberries, excuse me, <coughs> um, then they're not gonna eat strawberries. But with alcoholism, it's like, you can't, <laughs> it's, 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 it's different, you know? But yeah. That's just an early example of me unable to live life on life's terms. I thought if I was good enough, my dad would want to stop drinking. I thought that if I got good enough grades, if I just was kind enough or anything, he would love me enough to stop drinking. Or just I would somehow inspire him very, very, very young. I never really fit in as a kid. Uh, I started kindergarten at four because my birthday is in September and I knew how to read and they thought I was smart. Their mistake, <laughs> uh, well, although I could read, um, as a four-year-old, you lack a certain level of emotional intelligence. So all through school, I mean, I remember I had bullies. Once we moved from my childhood home when I was seven, it was never really the same. I changed schools. I had a sister on the way. I was le leaving my neighbors who were my best friends. And it just, I never got it. I never understood how people could connect to others. And I just wanted to make them like me. Um, I remember being in the third grade and there was this girl who I really wanted to be friends with really, really bad. And she was going to take, uh, she was going to go to Cedar point for like her ninth birthday or something. And she was like, had like a competition to see which friend was going to be good enough to go with her. And I, I just totally bought into that. It was me and some other girls. And I don't know. I just, that was kind of my life, like my whole childhood, my whole like elementary, middle school life was about just like kind of like being in that competition, like not just for specifically for that girl, but like um, just being in a competition to make 
be good enough for anyone to like me, uh, for anyone to just see me. But the root of it was always my dad. <laughs> I always, more than anything, I wanted it to be him. I say this to say addiction again is a disease of the mind. It starts off early. I had not touched any form of drink. I had not self-harmed. We're talking about five, six, seven, <laughs> nine years old with these thoughts. So when I was eight, I had been eight for a week when my little sister was born. My mother got very, very, very sick and she had to go to the hospital for some time. This happens often when my mother has kids all three times, she gets very, very sick. Thankfully she doesn't have any more. My sister was the last, but my dad, a lot of my memories of my father and my childhood are of him beside, behind a closed door. Um, and that didn't change with my baby sister. I learned how to change diapers. Um, I knew how to warm up bottles and feed her. And even though I, I never had to pay a bill or anything, you know, I was eight, I was parentified very, very, very young. The thing is, when I was eight, it didn't, it was a privilege, right? Because I was finally useful. I was finally doing something that made my father appreciate me, or I thought. <laughs> um, I'm 21 now, so this is, you know, some time ago, but it's, that was kind of what happened. It was me with this baby, and my father was there, but he was never really there, um, and my little brother was there too, and he's three years younger than me, so he's five, right? So he can't really help out. And I know that it kind of put a strain on our relationship as well because I stopped being like a kid at this point. I suddenly was a co-parent. And that's when I really got into this toxicity of perfectionism and of wanting to be enough and wanting to just be useful and just wanting to be seen. And I just, I just couldn't handle life. I couldn't handle the situation I was in. I couldn't handle that I wasn't enough. And that's kind of where it started. So that's what I was like, all right. <laughs> it's what I was like, what happened? Where am I now? Okay, so what happened? <laughs> What had happened was, I don't remember the first time I drank. <laughs> I don't. I have a distinct memory of um, being in my second home, so my second like house in my life memory. Uh, I had to be between 9 and 13, and my father is like slipping me little glasses of uh, little small cups of wine. Um, I just drank it because 
thought it was cool. You know, this is another way to make him like me, so I did it. I never got drunk, but um, it was cool. I remember just always being around alcohol. Um, I remember experiencing sexual assault, molestation by a drunk uncle um, and kind of excusing it because he was drunk and alcohol makes you not who you are and just all of these things. But I don't remember when I started drinking. I know I started self-harming when I was maybe 13 or so. Um, and I don't know why I did it. <laughs> these behaviors are so ingrained in me that I don't know why I did it. But throughout high school, I was cutting a lot through, I got um, <clears throat> diagnosed with, it was depression at one point, and then they're like, oh, it's an anxiety disorder. No, no, it's bipolar disorder, like in and out and in and out. Um, that was my entire high school career. And just to cope with it, I was self-harming, I was drinking, um... My mom didn't know. <laughs> it really kind of spiraled when I was 14, when my parents split. My mom was finally like, you know what? I've had enough of your nonsense. We're done. <laughs> uh, at least that was the first step, you know, the way abusive relationships work. You say no the first time, and then it, it takes a couple years. In our case, it took, uh, I think, three years before we were finally rid of him. But... Um, I was a sophomore in high school when that happened and I was like the second chair of the concert band. I was working. I it was a travel year. I was taking AP classes. Um, I was kind of seeing someone. Um, there was just like all of these changes going on. And I think it definitely catalyst my mental illness, which is a whole different category I'll have to talk about on a completely different day. <laughs> but with that, the medication that I had started to try to take wasn't working. Some of it worked, made it worse. And I just turned to booze. <laughs> Alcohol helped. I, it was easy to get. Um, shit, my father would have it <laughs> if I wanted it. And he didn't have a problem with me drinking. And I had older friends who had like fakes and stuff and, and I could always get it. I would never be drunk, um, at least not until like senior year of high school. Um, there were a couple times a couple very risky times in which I was drinking. One of which I remember I was in a philosophy class and we had this thing where there was this chair and if it was your day, you would sit in the chair and the class could ask you whatever they wanted and you had to answer honestly. It was very deep. It was a lot. And for the, the principal of the school came and I was drunk as hell <laughs> when he did his chair. 
and I was like asking questions. I don't remember what I asked. I don't know how I didn't get caught. Then my favorite English teacher came. I was drunk as hell and I like introduced him and people were like, oh, you're so funny. And like, I didn't know I was drunk, but it was just like this validation. And like, that was kind of when I was like, okay, I'm a, I'm gonna keep doing this. I'm gonna keep getting drunk. <laughs> you know, like, why not? I remember there was like these woods out by the school and me and a friend would go sometimes different friends and we would drink. Um, and I wasn't, I didn't smoke weed until after I graduated high school. Um, I remember the, I was always offered it, but I was, I have like lung issues. <laughs> um, and I like can't handle smoke like as a whole, like even people smoke like, uh, at the time when people would smoke like cigarettes around me, I would like cough. <laughs> like, it was really bad. So I was like, nah, man, I can't do that shit. <laughs> like, like I, I mean, as much as cool as it seemed, I just like legitimately couldn't. <laughs> um, so and then there was another time I remember I was drunk and in band I was drunk and I had taken like someone's Adderall too because I hadn't slept because I was like preparing for a test or something. I don't know. And I was like fucked up <laughs> and I was in band and it was, um, it was fall because we were, we were playing marching band music and I, I had told a really close friend of mine, like what was going on and she was like oh my god <laughs> and I remember I was also like the librarian so I had to like copy this music and um my band director asked me to copy this music and I just like <laughs> looked at my friend and I was like what the fuck and she had to go and like help me because I couldn't do it like it, it had become <laughs> dysfunctional um, not, not yet an everyday thing, but I'm, I'm 16, 17, and this is at least every school day, um, I'm, like, day drinking, um, to cope, and, like I said, I wasn't getting, like, I was getting drunk, so like, sometimes, but, like, by the time I would get home, like, it was fine, you know, like, I was drinking to kind of cope with, like, getting through the day but once I got home I was you know so tired um because I would go to school uh until like three and then I would work from 3 30 to like seven or eight and then I would come home maybe eat something do a crap ton of homework because that's where that's where I was at and then I would just pass out wake up at six get to the bus, school bus by like 6.30, um, practice clarinet in the morning because I didn't have a first hour, but I needed to practice because I was really serious about band. And that was like literally my life, day in, day out, day in, day out, nonstop. And to cope with the getting through the, the, the day part, it was self-harm. Self-harm was like, I guess, at home at night. Self-harm during the day was alcohol. Um, and just being this mirror ball, <laughs> in the words of Taylor Swift, being a mirror ball, just reflecting everything I, I can to get validation. <sighs> so after I graduated high school, I did start smoking weed. Um, my friend had a bowl. Uh, instead of a bong or a joint 
and that was the first time I had like had access to something that I could smoke that wouldn't make me <laughs> choke and die. <laughs> um, and I remember um, the first time I smoked that bowl, it was great. And I honestly will never have a high like that again. <laughs> Obviously, I won't have any highs again because I don't smoke anymore. But <laughs> that just goes to say, um, I remember laughing and eating way too much vegan pasta. And we watched, uh, is it Mac and Devin go to high school? Like some stoner movie. And um, we woke up and we smoked. And it was like, it was just so cool. And like, it was just great. And it, it was better than alcohol because alcohol is a depressant. Um, <laughs> I didn't have to crash down after. I just felt good. And my marijuana use was totally manageable. Um, I was, at this point, I had kind of, I was had been in therapy for a bit. So I was lessening self-harm. I had had um, 18 months clean and then relapsed. And then since that relapse, I haven't cut since, which is why I have like 800, a little over two years now, which is insane but <laughs> anyway like I had I felt that I was feeling better in my life I wasn't abusing alcohol as much like, I would still drink but I wasn't using it to get through the day because I had weed and I had like I guess more healthy coping mechanisms I started working at my dream job at the time which was Barnes and Noble um, and you know things got like a little better um I had my first year of college etc um Again, I I wasn't abusing alcohol at my first year of college. Uh, I stayed. I went to community college for a year. Stayed at home with my mom. Uh, my dad was out of the picture at that point, which was lit. Uh, and I was working and going to school, saving a lot of money and just existing. But. For my second year of college, I decided to go out of state to Chicago, where I live currently, to attend uh, a four-year university and get my psychology degree, uh, which is what I'd always wanted. And it was a really big deal because I was, I was abandoning my family, abandoning my uh, child, <laughs> my little sister, because she again had even all through high school I was still co-parenting her like it was the whole thing um and my mental illness got pretty bad because Chicago winters are darker than Michigan winters and it just sucked um I did that that, that 18 months clean um, streak what it did happen like the relapse happened um, while I was in at in Chicago at my four year university um, I it was just the memories of that is very dark um, yeah I I had friends um, but I was just so sad <laughs> um, I became a resident advisor an RA um, and I think, honestly, being an RA is the only thing that stops my addiction from hitting lower than it did. Because as an RA, um, yeah, like, there's, like, this perception that, like, oh, you're 
breaking the rules and all that like or you're busting people for breaking the rules but like that's that's not what it is but you're like helping people because again i wanted to be useful i wanted to be liked i wanted to i wanted to help people because helping people made me feel good uh which you know is cool to help people but it was just this deeper i'm analyzing now this like deeper need to just be needed and just be useful um and just just help because it made me feel validated but one of the key things is, is as an RA, um, if you get caught drinking underage or smoking, because weed was not legal yet, um, you're, you're done. You're fired. And not only are you fired, I lose my job. I lose my housing. I lose scholarships. I lose everything. So I had to be very careful about my use. This did not stop me from using <laughs> at all. Um, in college, I started smoking a lot or using a lot. I had, I had a thing with edibles. Um, I, I had, I think I got high like the third day of college or something with edibles and, um, some friends. I, it, it just, it, it became back in like the high school because I, I felt, again, it was a transition. Transition periods are very difficult for everyone, but specifically for me, I just, I just didn't know how to feel okay. So, um, edibles, drinking, I always had some kind of alcohol in my room. And because I was an RA, I knew damn well how to hide it, not get caught. And who's going to catch me? I'm the RA. Again, putting myself in risky situations. I remember there was, uh, it was Labor Day. I had went out for drinks with a friend who, um, like I went to his apartment and we had drinks and played video games. It was cool. Um, and he had like, he had also been an RA at one point, which is funny, but I came back drunk as hell <laughs> and my, um, my boss was there like just for some reason, I don't know why he was in the lobby area and I'm like sitting here waiting for these insomnia cookies that I had ordered and I'm just drunk as hell and <laughs> I don't know if he knew or I don't know, but he was like, are you Okay. And I was like, yeah, I just really want these cookies, which is like totally true. I was waiting for these cookies and they were like an hour late and I like got a discount or whatever. But <clears throat> he was like, okay. Um, he was kind of like, okay, well, let me know if you need anything. <laughs> um, and the desk receptionist was one of my friends and was like, oh my God, like <laughs> it just happened. And I just like kept putting myself in these situations um, where I could lose everything. And the same with weed. Like I have a really good friend who I smoked with a lot. Um, uh, and it would like, we would smoke in alleys around campus and like once the, the vape pens came out, we were smoking in my room all the time. And I was just high, like all the time. And I like never bought myself a vape pen partially because I wasn't 21 and you had to be 21 to buy the pens. And I didn't have a fake because if I got caught with a fake, I would lose my scholarship. You, do you see the, the pattern here? Um, but for some reason I didn't break the, the line of getting a fake, but I would totally still use. <laughs> um, but so I would just always use other people's stuff. And I was, I recognize now that that was protecting me. I was protecting myself because a deeper part of me knew that if I got the pen, I'd be done. I would just be high 24 seven. And it was pretty consistent now, but ugh, it'd be worse. I remember 
<laughs> I developed this idea of study high and test sober because once uh, the only uh, a minus a B plus the only less than a like a a minus that I got in a psychology class in college was because I went and took a test high and got a C and it dropped my grade to a B plus. So I was like, okay, I guess I can't take test high. Like, <laughs> no, you just can't be high. <laughs> um, but yeah. So how did I hit my bottom? <laughs> what happened? We're in this pattern. Weed becomes legal in, no, okay, back it up, back it up. Okay, so I've said that being an RA is what protected me and this is how I know for sure. So in, in July, 2019, my life starts falling apart. Like it already seems unmanageable, but it really starts falling apart. Um, I'm take I'm still struggling with finding the right medication for my mental illness. I take one, um, and I am allergic to it. Well, butrin, <laughs> if anyone's wondering, um, the problem with medication allergies is it takes about a week for you to notice it. And then it takes about a week to get out of your system. I was taking summer classes, which are accelerated. I was working as a summer RA, which meant a lot of staying up late, like two o'clock in the morning. Um, I was again touched inappropriately. That was the, the third time in my career that I was touched inappropriately. And the person that did it was never, um, never got in trouble for it, even though I reported it um, and never happened. Um, so there was that trauma of being touched weirdly by a basketball player while I was working as an RA and they didn't get in trouble for it. And then there was, I was, I had my first real same-sex attraction to someone and we were hanging out a lot that summer and I didn't really know how I felt or what was going on. And then she had alcohol issues and that made me think of my father. And then it was like, all of this stuff. And then school was starting again and just, um, it was like nonstop. I what I didn't have a break. It was really like, I think the summer classes plus the, the work plus the situation. And I was just smoking to cope with it. And I was living with, um, someone who was sober at the time as she was it was um she was sober so i was living with someone who was sober at the time as like a part of her religion um and i know that i made i knew that i made her uncomfortable with my use i knew it and i hated myself for it but i <laughs> i couldn't stop and she never said much about it um but i could have gotten us both in trouble because we were both under 21 for having alcohol in the space. I kept it in my bedroom, but you know, every Friday I'd have my friend over and we would hang out and we would drink and I would go outside and smoke, but we were high. And I think she knew, I mean, of course she knew there's no way she didn't know I just all the time. And I just, I have guilt and Oh, my life started falling apart is the point. By September, the first week of September, 2019, I have a mental breakdown I have not been sleeping. I'm in RA training again. Why do we have to keep doing RA training every year? I don't know, but it's 12 hours a day for two weeks. And like you get food, but it's basically like $2 a day. In case you're wondering, RAs get paid $100 every two weeks. So um, not luxurious at all. I'm also working a second job too. Two other, I'm working a second job and an internship. Um, it's just a lot. I have a mental breakdown. I think I can get it together. I don't. October 2019, I end up, I, I want to kill myself. I end up in the psychiatric hospital. 
um, because I just can't handle it. I want to die, but I also don't want to die, <laughs> which is just this terrible paradox because like I knew there was more, there was stuff I wanted in my life, but I just couldn't exist how I was working and I like wasn't getting medication and there were insurance issues. Um, I end up making the decision in order to preserve my mental health and try to have some semblance of toning it down so I can just graduate and be okay. I quit the RA job, uh, which best, one of the best decisions I've ever made. I learned a lot from that job. And again, we'll have another, I'll have another podcast about it, but, um, I didn't need to leave at the time and I quit the RA job. I move in with uh, my best friend and um, then we move in in December. Weed becomes legal January and that's it. She smokes weed and I'm like, by, like, by, um, I had went home for Christmas. By January, I had like several pipes, like grinders. Like I knew how to get, I mean, I already knew how to get weed, but now like I don't have, there's no, there's no borders. You know what I mean? Like I can smoke whenever I want to. I can smoke, we smoke outside because, you know, that's like courtesy, but whatever. Um, and I'm just loving it. It's just so fun. Um, for, I, I get home from like class or whatever and I just like pack a bowl because remember, I still have lung issues, so I still need to use bowls. Um, pack a bowl or if my friend's over, like we'll have a bong and, uh, we'll just get high and it's listen to music and, it was just amazing. Like it was, it was everything I ever wanted. Um, but on January 25th, 2020, uh, my uncle died and my uncle was the only person in that side of the family who was authentically himself. He was the only person who um, he was different, you know, <laughs> just a little, little different. And I always felt like the black sheep in my family, but he was also a black sheep in my family. Um, but my uncle died and I wasn't able to go to his funeral. Um, and I didn't recover. I still haven't recovered. Um, so from that point on, January 25th until um, April 24th, when I quit weed, I smoked weed every single day, um, usually three times a day. There was the, I'd wake up in the morning, there was the lunchtime, there was the, I had to go to sleep, so I got to smoke to sleep every day, nonstop. I could, and it, you know, people are like, oh, it's just weed, it's not that big of a deal, but um, it, I needed it <laughs> to get through the day. I was going to work high. Um, I would just, it gets, it got to a point where I wasn't getting high anymore, which is frustrating. Uh, but I needed that. It's because the, the high became my normal. My work performance started sucking. Um, admittedly, mostly because of grief, but also I was, again, transition. I was taking on a new position. Uh, I loved it. I loved my, my second job so much. It was my favorite thing ever. But I just, I was after dealing with that mental health crisis and the transition and then my uncle dying, I couldn't do it. I ended up quitting that job. 
um, I had three jobs. I just want you to know. <laughs> I had three jobs for most of my time at school. So I still had one more job. But um, I I couldn't do it. And I was like smoking more. And, and, and uh, alcohol was a thing as well, but not as huge. It was really just about smoking. And when I smoked, you know, I was still desired to self-harm. But, you know, I, I hadn't. And then in, I don't know what happened to February, (laughs) in March 2020, quarantine happens. On March 14th, um, I rush, I had to run home to Michigan to vote because there was something wrong with my absentee ballot. It never got sent to me. So I had to go back to the state of Michigan, vote, come back on the bus, four hour bus ride. Um, I make it to class. Um, and I don't know it, but it's my last class as a college student in person. I go home. I'm, I'm smoking a bowl. <laughs> as soon as I get home, I'm sitting on the porch and I get an email. Um, I'm already stressed because my sister's school has been canceled um, in Michigan. And I'm thinking it, it could happen here, you know, but I don't know. I get an email and in that email, they cancel classes. The study abroad that I had been looking forward to for three years is canceled. My graduation is canceled. All of my friends who are RAs are being evicted <laughs> during finals week because it's it's finals week. Um, and they all have to move out. They have a week to move out. Um, mind you, RAs don't make much money. Uh, my third job is about, uh, was I was studying homelessness at, um, at the time. So it just exploded (laughs) it exploded everything changed right there on the porch as I'm smoking a bowl (laughs) a big bowl and I couldn't cope (laughs) um so a couple weeks later, my mom comes to visit me because um, I can't go home. Also, like, my mom had gotten really sick <laughs> as well, like, with this COVID. Like, so I got that email. And then, like, a week later, my mom got really, 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 really sick. Turns out she had pneumonia in both lungs, but we didn't know if she had COVID or not. I couldn't go home. There wasn't anyone to watch my sister. Um, there was my brother, but, like, it was, it was just, it was awful. It was awful. And... Someone once asked me, what's the most afraid you've been in your life? And it was that week when my mom was sick. I couldn't get home. Everything had changed. My friends couldn't find housing. Um, I'm like working on making this huge like Facebook page so we can all find support. And like um, I'm offering up my couch for people. And my phone is just like nonstop going off. And my work is going insane. And I just... That's the most afraid I've been in my entire life. After my mom recovers, she comes and visits me because she knows that I had lost it. <laughs> and she's like, hey, um, you know, this COVID, it, it affects like your lungs. You should stop smoking weed. And I was like, okay, whatever. I'll stop smoking weed. This is fine. And that's when I realized I can't. I want to, 
but I can't. <laughs> um, it's and the the alarm bells go off and all of the the RA training and such comes and I go, oh fuck, I'm addicted to marijuana. <laughs> I have a problem. I didn't know it was possible, but I'm addicted to marijuana. I... Uh, moment of grace. I don't know how. I don't know why. But I have a one-on-one -on -one with the substance misuse and prevention specialist at my school who I'd been in contact with earlier in the year about my alcohol use. Um, because, you know, I was curious. We did a workshop in, uh, one of my jobs and they were like, Hey, you can come do this workshop and it's free and you know, why not? So I figured eh, I'll do it. But I had her contact info. We talk and I start going to collegiate recovery meetings and I'm like really scared, but I talk about my addiction. I talk about how I feel. It's super supportive. I don't know how, I don't know why. <laughs> But um, on April 19th, I go to my first MA meeting. It's on Zoom. MA is Marijuana Anonymous. It's on Zoom. It's at 420. <laughs> and I'm sitting on my porch and I'm, I'm holding a bowl. And I'm, I'm freaking out because I don't want to smoke it, but I need to smoke it. So I go to this meeting and um, it's good. And I say it's my first time there and people reach out to me. I then go in, after the meeting, I go inside and I don't smoke the bowl. Um, the next day it's 420 and as a stoner, I have to smoke everything. So I smoke all of the weed in my house. I smoke all of the keef that I had been saving all year to smoke on 420. Um, and you know, the stoner I am, 420 has to, it can't just be one day, right? It has to last like three days because it's a holiday. Um, school who, I don't know what I was doing with school. I don't even, I don't remember any of like what was going on, but somehow and i'm gonna say the grace of god i stopped smoking um on april 24th i didn't smoke and april 25th i didn't smoke and they said you should go to a meeting every day for your first 90 days um and by my third day i was i was having withdrawal symptoms i couldn't sleep uh every time i ate i would feel like i was gonna throw up um very, very nauseous. Um, my digestive system was shot. I was having nightmares. It was absolutely awful. Um, so day four, I get a sponsor, <laughs> um, who is still my MA sponsor to this day. <laughs> um, and she tells me that I should go to a meeting every time I feel like I'm going to use, or I feel like I need to use. And she tells me that I'm going to call her every day to check in. And that saved my life. Um, as of now, um, so I could go to any recovery meeting. I can go to Marijuana Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, etc. Um, I've been to like 170 meetings last I checked and I have 91 days. So that goes to tell you just how many times I wanted to use, but through COVID, <laughs> I had Zoom access. The story doesn't end there. <laughs> it's not like I stopped smoking and got better. It's actually I stopped smoking and it got worse, but no matter what, I didn't smoke. My sponsor also suggested that I not drink. Uh, <laughs> I might have a different 
podcast about my alcohol use, but um, I had two alcohol relapses, one after five days, one after 33 days before where I am at now, which is 38 days, um, because I just didn't, once I stopped smoking, all I wanted to do was drink, um, because I needed something, right? But that was her, and that was God, and a little bit of me, too. <laughs> A little bit of me. Um, I, in the first month, so between April 24th and May 24th, I lost three people who I loved to COVID. Um, two friends and a like, grandfather figure uh, who was an NA sponsor, actually. So that was... That was interesting <laughs> to think about, God, what happens when your sponsor dies and like all this stuff. But attending his funeral allowed me to process the death of my uncle. And I think that really that's kind of what it was. Like, um, I wasn't like super close with him, not my uncle, but the grandfather figure who had died. But I think I was like, that grief was doubled. Um, and my friends, that grief was just like tripled and the friends I lost were international. So like, it was kind of always like, oh, like we'll see each other again. And then we didn't get to, um, and now they're dead. Um, so I had three people die in my first 30 days of sobriety. Um, I was doing online school as a dyslexic person and people were not understanding the way grief works. Um, I was still apart from my family. My sister got sick. My brother got sick. Um, all with pneumonia. <laughs> or my sister got pneumonia. My brother had some stomach thing. I don't know. But it was, again, like this feeling like I was far away and I, like, couldn't connect and I wasn't needed. I started having serious um, issues with um, my friend who I was living with. Um... She left for a long time, so I had to deal with being alone and COVID. Then the racial um, things in Chicago started happening. There were, like, gunshots. People started getting killed. It was no longer safe for me to go to the grocery store because of my blackness. And I was just scared and alone in my house. Um, and I was un just unseen, unheard. Um, it felt, whenever I would express this very valid fear, it was kind of shut down or minimized or um, it just sucked. I say this to say I had a million reasons to use. A million and one. <laughs> I could have used, but I didn't. And I didn't because there was a better way. I didn't because I had support and every t there were so many calls where I would be up like I'm gonna do it I'm gonna smoke and I never did I've not had a weed relapse I've wanted it but I've not had it I've had two alcohol relapses but I got back on it so where am I now now as I said 91 days from weed 83 three days from alcohol and 800 and some days from um, self-harm. I have finished college. I'm doing a podcast. 
I started a tarot business. I've been able to go home. I am moving out of my apartment and moving in with sober people who love and support me um, unconditionally in the sense that they do not put their own desires above my basic needs. And I will never have to do anything alone again. I have a community of people behind me who understand my story and now that I've shared it, <laughs> that community's even bigger. There's so much more to come to this. Um, just so much more and as they say in the promises, we are painstaking in this stage of our development. We will be amazed before we are halfway through. I am 21 years old. And I plan on living to at least 102 so I can brag that I've been alive in three centuries. So I'm going to have far more time sober than I had using. I'm not even a third of the way through. And I am so amazed. And I am so humbled. And I am so blessed and so pleased and just so at peace. It does not get easy. It does get easier. And I am so, so happy to be sober. People ask me or have asked, you know, oh, you have 90 days. How do you feel? And I feel blessed. I feel seen. I feel that there's endless possibility. I feel that when I put my faith in my higher power, anything is possible. And for that, I will die grateful. I think that's where I'm at for now. Thanks for letting me share, <laughs> as they say in the rooms, if you've made it this far. Thanks for listening. There are plans for the rest of this podcast. Um, this will be hope weekly, ultimately, but as I am moving next week, it might be bi-weekly, as in um, every other week, we shall see. Um, again, it's not professional it's not a I'm not planning to make any money off of this I'm not planning for it to be a big thing it's just a place for recovery and a place for honesty and I'm okay with that <laughs> so the cool thing about that is there's no pressure um but next podcast will come out um I have a lot of guests coming up over the next couple weeks and I'm so excited to talk with these people but Thank you for listening. Thanks for letting me share. Have fun. Be safe. Be yourself. Make good choices. And don't do drugs. I'll see you next time.